read uh, one more time, please, in honor to the scripture. We'll turn to Colossians 3. My class, my rooted class, the young adults uh, class, those in their 20s, have, uh, have been working through this. Our theme verse was rooted uh, uh, and, and built up in him from Colossians 2, verse 7. Um, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 2, we won't be in chapter 3 until a little bit later. Uh, but we've been working through the book of Colossians, and it's the Sunday school answer every single week. What's the point of life? Jesus, you know, and uh, Jesus is the answer to everything, and it truly is. That's what the book is about, is rooting your life in Jesus Christ. And um, so I was kind of sad that my dad wasn't in a series already on Sunday nights, uh, because I usually like to just tack along. I already have my text picked for me. I can figure out what it's saying and just march along. But we're not really in a series right now, and we've just come out of the um, the revival with Brother McCracken. And so we're picking back up and just something that I've been, I've been really blessed as I've been studying it for our Sunday school class. And it's just been something that's been so rich to me that I wanted to bring that tonight as well. And so Colossians 2, we'll only read four verses. We'll reference more than that. Um, but we'll just read the last four verses of the chapter. 2, verse 20. And this dovetails a lot with what Brother McCracken preached on last week, Colossians 2.20. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances and phrases that were going around their church? Touch, touch not, taste not, handle not. These, these common carryovers from Judaism. Why are you holding on to this? Verse 22, which are all to perish with the using. After the commandments and doctrines of men. Why are you holding on to this after the commandments and doctrines of men? Verse 23, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Let's pray. Our Father, as we dive into the word tonight, we want to have right thinking about our lives. We want to think theologically and act theologically, and we want to know that, that, that what we're doing is not just out of duty to a, a, a man or a person or an obligation or, um, or even people or expectations, but that, but that everything that we do is driven by being in Christ and that uh, we're complete in you. There, there's just so much, there's so much theology in these texts, and yet it has, to be practical. it has to be practical, and it has to mean something to us still today in 2019. And so I pray that, that, that our church, Calvary Baptist Church, can be strengthened by um, the word once again tonight. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. When I got to the airport with Brother McCracken, dropping him off at the airport on Thursday night, we were counting the bags, and all the suitcases come rolling out, and the duffel bags come rolling out, and then this big old bag comes out. It looked like a body bag. I'm like, what are you shipping? It was about as long as I was, and I thought, are you, are you taking a, did you kill someone from our church, or what was it? And I'm assuming it was his golf clubs or something, but boy, that thing was, was big. And when Brother McCracken was here, he was preaching about this, this concept that that when we're saved, we're baptized into Christ. And I thought of that bag, that it's so big, I could have got into that. And maybe Nancy could have got into that, saved him the cost of a ticket. I don't know. Saved us the cost. We paid for his airfare. And uh, 
<laughs> so maybe that's a cheaper way to get around. It's a little cold in the, in the bay, but that's okay. She could, she could bundle up. But it's like being inside of a cocoon, inside of a bag, is that concept that he was preaching last week, that what the gospel does when you're saved, you are placed into Jesus Christ. Charlotte, you want to help me out here? Come here. How about Abe? Abe, you want to help me? She's a little shy. Abe's okay with that. Charlotte was a little bit smaller. She would fit into my jacket a little bit better. But Abe is small enough, too, that this would work. Okay, so when you're saved, the Bible says, and, and Brother McCracken made the point to say that we are baptized into Jesus Christ. And the word baptized doesn't always mean wah-wah. It doesn't always mean water when the word, the word baptize itself is just, is just a transliteration of the Greek word, baptizo, which just means submerge, immerse, completely surrounded by. There you go. He's tucking his head down. He is in Christ. He is inside Christ. And so what Christ is dead to, we are dead to. Romans 6 says the same thing. Colossians 2 says the same thing. That, he, that there was a whole list of ordinances. There was a whole list of our sins. And he took that list of our sins and ordinances and nailed them to the cross. They're, they're, they're stuck there with his death and what Jesus Christ is dead to. Since we are inside Christ, then we're dead to those sins too. The penalty for our sins are 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 defended by Jesus Christ. He's on the outside. We're on the inside of this body bag. Thanks, Abe. You can have a seat. You can even take my jacket. I don't need that right now. Is it a sin to preach with no jacket? I think it's okay. <laughs> Colossians 3, then, and Colossians 2, has this concept that, yes, we are in Christ, but when we're in Christ, Colossians 1, verse 27, says, Christ in you. It goes the other way, too. So, so Christ in you, the hope of glory. And, and look at chapter 2, verse 10. We sing a song like this. Chapter 2, verse 10. And ye are complete in him. Okay, so we are, we, we are in Christ, but then, but then what he does for us is he completes us. For in him dwelleth, verse 9, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. So, so there is, I brought this picture up here. Actually, it's a vase inside of a, like a cake pan thing, okay? So this represents you. It's almost full of water, but not quite. I didn't want to spill it when I was moving it, so I have more water. This is you, and here's Christ in you. And you are completely and absolute. It's tipping a little bit, so I can't. I mean, if I put any more, it's going to overflow. But you get the idea. Christ in you, there's, there's room for nothing else anymore. You're completely full in Christ. He satisfies every heart's desire. He satisfies every need on the inside. We've been learning a song over the past year or so, a song called Complete in Thee, a great old song from the 1800s. Complete in Thee. No work of mine can take, dear Lord, the place of thine. There's nothing I can do that can add to my Christianity. There's nothing I can do that can make, make you love me more. I can't be a better Christian in order to, to make you go, wow, that really, I, I just love you so much more. 
And the song says, yea, justified, oh, blessed thought, sanctified, salvation wrought. Um, uh, the, the second verse says, complete in thee, no more shall sin, thy grace hath conquered, reign within. There's, there's, there's no chance since I'm in you, and you're in me, and I'm completely full in you, then sin can't conquer anymore. It can't be the, vi- the one that's victor- victorious anymore. The third verse says, complete in thee, each want supplied. Everything I need and, and even want is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And, and I'm complete in him. And that song just kind of amplifies that thought from Scripture, from chapter 2, verse 10. Dear Savior, when before thy bar all tribes and tongues assembled are, among thy chosen will I be. And at thy right hand, complete in thee, I'll stand right next to you. And all these, other, all these others whom you have made complete, dear God. And singing to God about our completeness is wonderful. And, and we know intuitively, if you've been around church, you know the concept that adding anything to Jesus Christ is, is not right. And religions try to do that all the time, where Christ has completely satisfied and completely filled us. And in some ways, that's exactly what Paul was dealing with here. And he's trying to teach them to think theologically. Listen, Christians, there's nothing more that needs to be added to the work of Jesus Christ for you to be complete. And yet Judaizers were coming in. And they were trickling in their Judaism, mixing it with Christianity, and somehow thinking they were adding to Christianity, making it better, making a more spiritual, supernatural uh, um, experience, making this higher plane of Christianity. And Paul is saying, no, there is no higher plane of Christianity. There is nothing better than what Christ has already given to you. You can't make Christ better by religion and by adding something to it. And so we know that Strictly speaking, I, I know the term legalism has connotations that even relate. Some people use it as an attack word, even against Baptists. And, 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 and yet, strictly speaking, the most strict form and definition of the word legalism is that those who are adding things to salvation, the adding things to Jesus Christ, which is exactly what Paul is dealing with, that's true strict legalism is what he's fighting here. And... and and it's almost like, but don't you want to, I mean, is it, is it really enough? I mean, are you going to believe in this invisible historical guy, this Jesus Christ, and you say he had his side pierced, and you say he shed his blood for you, and that somehow magically his blood covers your sins in this magical heaven temple? What's this? Christianity's crazy. I can't believe it. Why are you believing this stuff? And we just say, well, yeah, it's, it's by faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is who he is, and I don't have to add anything to it. My salvation banks completely on him. And they say, but don't you need to add something to Jesus Christ? And look at the uh, verse number 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward. Chapter 2, verse 18. In a voluntary humility... We say, that sounds pretty good, right? Voluntary humility. Shouldn't we be humble people? Well, what he's referring to is like a sect of, of humble people. You, you can think of it almost like a, a, a monastery, the monks who go away to live humbly as if they're getting closer to God by spending this life of asceticism, which just means self 
not mutilation, but self-deprivation. I'm going to reject my body so that God will be pleased with me. You know what Paul is saying? No, you're already complete in Christ. So if you're trying to add voluntary humility to Jesus Christ to make yourself more acceptable, then actually this addition that you're giving is actually a subtraction. The things that you're trying to add to Jesus Christ are actually removing from him. They're displacing Christ in you. They're not adding anything to your walk with him. They're removing from it. Well, this voluntary humility, what else? Don't let any man beguile you. Don't let any man trick you, verse number 18. And worshiping of angels. Worshiping of angels. This other added, some, whatever it was, whatever it meant to them originally, there was, some kind of, there was some kind of supernatural experience that they were thinking, angelic beings are these great big fiery beings and, and, and we can worship the way they worship and we can, we can get... I mean, forget this regular worship of singing and, you know, singing psalms and praises to God and spiritual songs and thinking great thoughts about God. We want to take it to the next level, and we're talking about angel worship now. We're talking about this supernatural extra experience. And he says, don't let any man trick you into something, thinking that what you have is not enough and that you need to add to Christ, because adding is actually subtracting. And, and um, let's see, verse number 20. Look at verse number 20. Um, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, we already said, yeah, I'm dead. I, I don't have to do these things. I'm complete. Well, if you are dead to, to the rudiments of the world, then why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Then why are you living like these are important to you? Why are you living like you have to have some kind of experience in order to be close to Christ? Why are you living as if... Why are you willingly subjecting yourself to these ordinances? That word subject is dogmatizo. Sounds a little bit like our English word, dogmatic. Why are you getting so dogmatic about anything but Christ? Why are you getting so dogmatic about these, these, these rules, touch not? Well, there's things that we're still not allowed to touch, and so, whoa, I'm even overflowing my overflow bucket that I've got here. Oh, man. Why are you getting so excited about these, these, these extra rules? Touch not, taste not, handle not. Well, look, these, uh, verse 22, which are all to perish after the using. He's saying just by thinking, by thinking you're adding something to Jesus Christ, you're actually subtracting from him. You're adding nothing to him. There's no extra weight that you can add to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. All you're doing is displacing him. All you're doing is removing him from his rightful place. That's not exactly the right place we need to be. Verse 22. Um, uh, look, all these things that you're doing, they're perish with the using. Why are, you, why are you living after the commandments and doctrines of men? Here it is, verse 23, which things indeed have a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body. Well, I've just got to neglect my body. I've got to whip my back. I've got to, I've got to punish myself for my sins. I've got, to, I've got to kneel on this broken glass. I've got to live a life of self-denial, complete self-denial. I'm not a good Christian unless I live in a monastery just like those monks. And we think they're the most holy, most separated, most spiritual people because they seem to have 
a worship of the will. The self-will is, is worship so that they have control over it. They only eat a little bit of food. They work every day. They pray hours and hours a day. And it must be, wow, they're really holy people. The worship is that they've conquered their self-will. They're not worshiping Christ, which is what he's referring to here. These things just displace Christ. And beyond that, look at the last phrase of verse 23. Not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. They aren't even satisfying their flesh. They aren't even getting what they want to get out of it. This isn't even, this isn't even working. By removing themselves from the world, it's not... In the next chapter, he talks about the sexual cravings. And we talked about the hunchback of Notre Dame story. The judge is up there and he's lusting over this woman. And, and the story of the hunchback of Notre Dame is that Esmeralda is going to be the one that pays for my lust. And so he, he, he says, I'm going to have to send her through the fires of hell to punish her for these, these torments that she's putting me through. And he puts all of his weight of lust and greed and covetousness for something that he can't have on somebody else and tries to remove himself or remove her, remove the problem, and he's still not even satisfied. And changing a location to a monastery or denying yourself through, through just sheer self-determinism and just being a really strong, devoted person, that's, that's not at all the answer. This is only displacing Christ instead of keeping him at his head where he belongs. Verse number 19 is the answer. And, and not holding the head, the capital H head. This is talking about Jesus Christ in his rightful place. Not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands have nourishment ministered and knit together. Increasing with the increase of God. God is the one that increases you. God is the one that grows you. God is the one that satisfies you. God is the one that takes away and mortifies your flesh. God is the one who, yes, he calls you to a life of self-denial. And there's aspects of Judaism and things that, that they do that are, that, are, that are worthy of us learning from in some senses. And there's an aspect of true spiritual disciplines that we all have to understand and apply to our own life. We have to wake up early and read our Bible. We have to do some of these things. But my spirituality is not that I have done the disciplines. My spirituality, my spiritual health is being connected to the head. Amen. And to disconnect the head means you're dead. It means there's no nourishment. Read it there in verse 19. Not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered. My only spiritual refreshment and nourishment comes by being connected to the head, not by living in a monastery and separating from the things that I think are bad, through sheer determinism. If my life is merely the virtues that I hold, if, if, if all I have are these external things that I can point to and say, this is my spirituality. I'm a good Christian because I'm doing these things. If that's all I have, then my Christian life must only be a life of signaling about how good of a Christian I am. If my life is not connected to the head and I'm not receiving satisfaction from Jesus Christ and I'm receiving satisfaction from being seen as a good Christian, then this is all I have and I'm going to show these rocks off as much as possible. I'm going to show everybody how good of a person I am based on how I can live outwardly and that's exactly what they were calling people to do. Christ is not enough 
You have to add something to him in order for it to be enough. And that's a damnable message. That's a message that removes Christ from your life and puts you in his place as Christ. That's a message that says, I am enough. Christ is not enough. There must be something I can add to Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, no, absolutely not. There's freedom in Jesus Christ. There's absolute liberty in Jesus Christ. There's, we're dead to ritual. We're dead to experience. We're dead to self. We're dead to thinking that I must generate something in my Christianity. It's not about me generating my Christianity. It's not about some supernatural connection. It's not about some some higher level of worship that I wish we had this better thing so that I could really connect to God then. No, you're as close to God as you desire to be because it's your job to connect to the head. We receive our nourishment from the head, not from other people seeing who we are as Christians. We receive our nourishment. He's the one that knits our body together. And that's talking about our collective body. And that's, we, we receive all our health from our ligaments and our, 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 our bodies being banded together. Just read verse number 19. To, to, to lift up these rocks as God is the lie. To lift up the rocks as though I find my value in, in some standard, in some lifted up rule that I have to follow. To find my value and my strength in anything besides Jesus Christ. You're missing the point. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. For me to be truly, uh, um, for me to be truly empty and for me to be truly just uh, uh, exactly what I need to me, then my completion needs to be solely and only in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, my life just becomes Christian virtue signaling. And we hate when the leftists do it with all the things that they don't really believe, but they have to post about, they have to shout about, they have to, you know, change the banner across the top of their website to the rainbow because they have to be inclusive and they have to signal that they're inclusive. And so maybe not everybody believes it, but we're going to signal about our virtues that we're inclusive people. And it's like, we hate when they do it, but wait a minute, what about when we as Christians do it? To say, I'm a really good Christian and here's why. I think what Paul is saying is, look, let's, let's not base the theology of our lives based on virtue signaling. But let's base our, our theology like on Jesus Christ. Christ, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Christ is our head. Look how, how else he says it in chapter 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, like my my. Christ is life. It's not about this experience I can generate, but, it, but Christ is life. Jesus Christ is strong enough to support any of the things that, that he calls us to do, and there are virtues that he calls us to do. There are standards in our, in our life. Yes, there are rocks. There are some things that, that by nature of being a Christian, that yes, there are disciplines we have to build into our life, but those aren't the thing that give us our nourishment. Those aren't the thing that's, that, 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 strive, that lets us strive toward him. Truth is our highest virtue. Being connected to Jesus Christ is our highest virtue. Living a life of faith in Jesus Christ, not faith in what you think about me or think about each other. Faith in Jesus Christ alone, and that's all. Um, tradition over truth. We have to follow our traditions. Or experience over truth. We have to add experience. We have to add a, an emotional experience or else I didn't worship in church today. A personal preference comes over truth. 
or else, boy, it just, it's just not really truthful. I, just, I have my way of looking at it. You have yours. We'll just go our way. And Christ is saying, all of those must be laid aside, and truth must come first. I keep saying that experience over truth happens, because I think that's exactly what Paul was getting at, is that it was almost like they felt like they couldn't worship unless they had what these new preachers were talking about. This, boy, we, are we missing something, Paul? You taught us to just sing and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and and worship is that as simple as worship is just singing the songs about god i mean is that all i want to get into this angel worship stuff that they're preaching about i want to get into this this they must be feeling i mean you look at the charismatics these days and they throw themselves on the ground and they're they're like you know pulsating on the ground and they're foaming at the mouth and they're, they seem really excited and then sometimes they get up and they, they, they talk crazy things and they say the Holy Spirit gave them words. You look at that and go, wow, that's, that's exciting. I want to get in on that, man. They seem like they're having way more fun than me. And what they teach, even their followers, we, we look at the charismatic movement. And we look at the teachings and the encouragements of the charismatic movement. That it's almost like you're not quite arrived until you've been able to learn how to speak in tongues. And until you get to this level, then you're not, you're not quite there. You need to keep on working. And once you get this experience, then you have arrived. We say, wait a minute, Paul wouldn't be all about that. Paul would not be the one that says you're, you're not right with God. You haven't truly worshipped God until you've had some experience. And so I look at our hymns, and I ask this question in my class, can we worship without, without a feeling? Would it be worship without feelings? And I, and I posited that question and I thought, boy, this, this seems to be that the focus is not on some experience or feeling in Scripture. I'm just talking about scripturally now. And it seems to be that doesn't really seem to be the focus of Scripture. It just seems to be on truth. And it just seems to be about singing great songs to God and about, and about singing, thinking great thoughts about God. And true worship is recognizing myself before God. And all of that is truth-based. It's not emotional. It's not experiential. It's just truth-focused. And those songs that we sing, music is inherently emotional, and I understand all of that. But I just believe that these old hymns that we sing are just... They're, to me, they're almost good because they're not pushing for some experience. There's not a guitar riff in there that makes you go, oh, yeah, man, that bridge. Oh, once we got to that bridge, I just, oh, I just exploded. I got goosebumps all over me. Well, was it the guitar that gave you the goosebumps or was it the truth of Jesus Christ? And that's my question. That's my question. Well, maybe we could change this. Well, wait a minute. If the song is good because of the truth, then do you really need to add something to it to make it better? What are you going for? What's your goal? Is it to be closer to Jesus Christ? Or is it the goosebumps of the experience? And it made me feel so good when we sang that. I understand there's new songs, and I don't want to make it feel like I'm against new songs, because I'm not. But I don't like the disdain for the old hymns, because they just go through these, you know, these, these statements of truth, and that's kind of boring. I watched this funny parody video, this kind of spoof video about how to write a worship song in five minutes or less. Every good worship song needs four chords. You can add an extra one in in the bridge if you're feeling especially artistic, but you really only need four. 
just make sure you play it really loud and have a lot of delay on the lead guitar. And everybody commenting on the video said, that would be hilarious, except for how true it is. And now it's not funny anymore, because that's true. <laughs> and yet it is hilarious. And we poke fun at that, and that's silly, and that's, you know, it's funny. And we got to make sure that something is on fire or in flames. If it's our hearts or our souls or this generation, we just got to add fire in there. Or water, rushing water, flowing water, or falling water. Or we've got to have uh, some kind of... And it's like, boy, we got to... Do we have to add so many of these, these things that have almost become tropes? It's almost like, man, the, contrast that with the richest song that I've learned just this year. I thought, how come I've only learned this this year? song we were saying this morning, Oh Christ, what burdens bowed thy head? Our load was laid on thee. Thou stoodest in the sinner's stead, didst bear all ill for me. A victim led, thy blood was shed. Now there's no load for me. Death and curse were in our cup. Oh, Christ, was t'was full for thee, but thou hast drained the last dark drop. Tis empty now for me. That bitter cup, love drank it up. Now blessings drop for me. Jehovah lifted up his rod. Oh, Christ, it fell on thee. Thou was sore stricken of thy God. There's not one stroke for me. Thy tears, thy blood beneath it flowed. Thy bruising healeth me. The tempest's awful voice was heard. Oh Christ, it broke on thee. Thy open bosom was my ward. It braved the storm for me. Thy form was scarred. Thy visage marred. Now, cloudless peace for me. Jehovah bade his sword awake. Oh Christ, it woke against thee, thy blood, the flaming blood, must slake or satisfy. Thine heart, its sheath must be, all for my sake, my peace to make. Now sleeps that sword for me. For me, Lord Jesus, thou hast died, and I have died in thee. Thou art risen. My hands are all untied, and now thou livest in me. When purified, made white and tried, thy glory then for me. And, and to me, the words of that song, the things that make you think about the sacrifice of, uh, of Jesus Christ for our sins, the things that, that drive me to think so deeply about my pathetic state and Jesus Christ's wonderful, all-encompassing provision for my sin. That, to me, the, the, the worship itself is not in the experience, but it's in the truth. And what that does, though, it, it gives me goosebumps. Amen. The truth itself gives me the experience that flows out of that truth. And that is the beauty of, of true worship, is that it seems to me that it's almost like, well, we need to do away with the hymns. I just don't know how you can improve on a hymn like that. I don't know why you would judge a song that, that is so truth-rich like that, that if it doesn't fit a certain style, that makes you, you know, well, can we add, if it doesn't fit a certain style, again, I'm, I'm going around in circles, but the idea is that I, I think we just need to focus on Jesus Christ first, have, first have a truth focus very first, and then I believe what he does from that is gives us those emotions that follow. I, I love music, and I, I even love new music. I love that, that new songs can be sung, but I never want to sing new at the expense of old. I never want to look down on the old hymns because 
in some ways, they're almost, like I said, they're almost not experiential on purpose. And because they're not experiential, meaning they're not built for an experience, each, each, each generation has its version of experience. The baby boomers listen to what we call oldies now. And you don't get a big experience out of it like they did when they were teenagers. But that music genre, the style was built for them to have an experience. Today's generation has a style of music that's built for an experience for them. I think in 20 years we're going to look at today's music and say, that sounds kind of hokey. It sounds so weird. And you say, no, I'm going to love this song forever. I don't think you will. I think you'll look back on it and go, boy, I can't believe we listened to some of that stuff. Just think of 70s music and you'll know what I'm talking about. I can't believe, oh, I'm so embarrassed that we listened to that. But that was my jam, man. That was what I listened to. That was what I was into. Because the focus was on the experience, and if the focus is on the experience, I think the way the hymns have endured for hundreds and hundreds of years is that they've kind of said, you know what, forget experience. Let's just sing a truth-rich song, and let's see if the 70s pass, and the 80s pass, and the 90s pass, and the 2000s pass, and the 1880s pass, and the 1890s pass, and everything in between, the music generations fall, rise and fall, and it's like, it's like there's something old that we connect to. Just like the scripture is timeless, there's something about our hymns that are just old and we can connect to because we focus mostly and primarily on the truth, which I think is what Paul is getting at here. Truth over experience. And really, I think this is a cart before the horse thing. The horse is the truth. The cart is the emotions. And the truth must be the thing that draws the emotions behind it. But sometimes we get the cart before the horse. And we try to style our music so that people feel an emotional feeling so that they then want to know God closer because of the goosebumps they got when they were in church. And I just think that's a little bit backwards. Some of you are, are so experiential and the things that you do in everyday life are so much about experience that it's like, but that's my life. And probably half of you are saying, you know what, I'm pretty even keeled about life. The highest I get on a scale of one to ten is maybe a seven Lowest I get is about a four. I live somewhere in the four, five, six range, you know, and I kind of, I don't get too excited. I don't get too depressed. And so my life really isn't about feelings. I connect to this truth stuff you're preaching about, Brother Ryan. And, and there's some that are, that are saying, but that's not me. I'm a 10 all the time, or I'm a one all the time. And I, my highs are high and my lows are low. And I, I, this is how I tick. The way I tick is experience. Maybe this message is mostly for you. Paul is saying, don't let the emotions determine what your worship is. Truth should come first, and that should be, we should think theologically first before emotions. And that's all I'm getting at. Um, because, like I said, the emotions are, are fine and wonderful. I love them. I, I almost wish there were more people that would respond emotionally to the wonderful songs we sing, just in congregationals. I, I, I wish we would have more of that. And I'm not, you know, I don't think that because a, a pretty even-keeled guy is leading the songs and I don't get all super emotional, I don't think you shouldn't get emotional. I, I think it's wonderful. Last week, Sandra was up here crying through the song service, and it was wonderful. It was precious. There is a fountain filled with blood. And to me, that's moving. That is the truth of that song is moving. What if we had people that would just come and worship God and bow down at the altar during the music service? There's no problem with that. 
The response to God's truth is worship, meaning that I'm lowering myself before God. There'd be no problem with that. That is, I think, a scriptural position. But, but that's not our goal. We're not trying to factor, you know, uh, factory produce uh, crying in the services, but we're going to put the horse before the cart. The truth will come, and I think we should be responsive to that truth. I think we should be more responsive to the truth. Amen. I think there should be something in us that is not just rote singing through these hymns, but that it, we allow it to affect our emotions, and that we allow it to change us, and that we allow it to, 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 to be expressive to God, and sometimes that makes our eyes a little wet. Sometimes it makes us just get extra excited. Sometimes it puts a smile on our face. Sometimes it just changes the way we sing and the volume of our singing. And so that's all I'm talking about. Don't let anything displace Jesus Christ. Sometimes we can say experience is what I'm after, and so that's my focus. Don't let that replace Jesus Christ. Paul is saying nothing can. Standards can't ex uh, 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 replace Jesus Christ. I grew up in a home with pretty high standards. Never heard cursing on our TV hardly at all. Um, we never net went to movies, never listened to rock music in our home. I mean, never. We didn't have any of it. If, it. if it came on a movie, then we skipped past it or we turned it down or whatever. We didn't live, even listen to oldies. I mean, there's nothing like that in our house. We never missed church. And if we're talking about, if we're talking about you know, what we call standards these days, it's like we, we never missed for anything. I never dated until college. My, my sister is the only girl in our home, and so, you know, I don't know. She's eight years older than me. I didn't have to deal with any of the dress. You know, maybe she wanted to be a Proverbs 7 harlot or something. I don't know if she wanted to dress like that. As far as I know, she never got away with it. You know, she never dressed like that. For us guys, the clothing issue is pretty easy. No problem there. But it was like, yeah, we had all these high standards and things that we did. But it was never like, that makes us spiritual, family. And these are the things that we're not going to do because, because this makes us good Christians. It was never about the rock. It was never about the thing that replaced Jesus Christ. For us, it always was about Jesus Christ. And, and we want to be pleasing to him. I'm raising two little girls, and I'm going to have to, you know, draw some lines for them, and I want them to be feminine and beautiful, and I want them to be as God designed them to be. But I'm not going to make their clothing a mark of spirituality. What they wear will not make them spiritual people. The cart before the horse thinking goes that I have to wear this because this is Christ. And this is not Christ. Christ is the head. Connecting to Jesus Christ is where our spiritual uh, uh, life comes from, where our nourishment comes from. And everything else is an outflow of that. There's communal standards. Yes, there's things that we do as a church and there's things you signed on to at the contract, you know, at the, uh, at the church covenant, you know, things like drinking. If it's black and white in scripture, sure, we're not going to go there. Those are things that, that will say don't absolutely don't do those things. But there are some things that are standards that are not black and white in scripture and some lines that sometimes we have to draw. But those are the things that are not Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we feel we feel pressure when there's no need for pressure. Because if you're displacing your relationship with Jesus Christ with something that is not Christ, you're doing it wrong. 
If something else in your life is displacing Christ, and I, I, I can't do that because I'm afraid of what this person is going to say. I can't do that because I'm afraid I'll get caught. I can't do that because I, I'm not really... Listen, it's not about what other people are, are saying or thinking about you. You connect to the head. You connect your life to the head. Christ is life, not what pastor thinks, not what everybody else in here thinks. Christ is life. And don't let anything displace Jesus Christ in your life. Christ is enough. He's sufficient. You are complete in Christ. Any addition to Christ is a subtraction. So don't add anything to it, but then it's like, well, okay, what am I living for? That's it. What is, what is the drive of my life? What, what, what am I living for, for other people or for completely and solely and only Jesus Christ? Hope that's an encouragement. Stand, if you would, please. We're going to sing 611 for an invitation song, just a chance to respond to God. God has spoken to you. If the scripture made sense to you and if God was... Uh, speaking through the word to you, then it's our duty as Christians then to respond back to God. God, how do you want me to think differently after tonight? What do you